You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Monica Bay. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Hi, I'm Monica Bay. Welcome to Law Technology Now. We have a terrific guest today. It's Fred Heaton, and he's with Air Canada. And we have something very much in common. We are both airline people. My dad was a United Airlines pilot, and my mom was what they used to call a stewardess. So without United Airlines, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your history with Air Canada. Thanks, Monica, and it's great to be here. I am the uh, Assistant General Counsel of Labor Law at Air Canada, which is a united partner, in fact. So uh, maybe yes. Air Canada even played a role in that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I actually flew your airline the very first time when we both were at the Canadian Bar Association about a month ago. Mm-hmm. We'll hope we'll see you again soon on, uh, on one of them, uh, both because uh, of where I work and also we'd love to have you back up here. It was a great time uh, at that Thank conference, you. and uh, I really appreciate what you and the other judges did for us at that event. We can chat a little more about that as we go, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, my day job, I lead a team of in-house labor lawyers. Um, we're responsible for the, the labor law work uh, around the globe for the airline and the full range of things from employee stuff through to bargaining and grievances and human rights matters privacy, workers' comp. And that comes on the heels of uh, most of my career having been spent in private practice with uh, the firm of McCarthy Tetro here in Montreal and uh, practiced labor and employment for them for, uh, for a number of years as well. What's the most interesting part of your job and what's the most vexing part of your job? Hmm. <laughs> they may be one and the same. <laughs> the- <laughs> I can see that. Thirdly, the most interesting is the industry itself and the dynamic that brings to the employment relationship. Uh, This is an industry that long ago started to embrace technology, something the legal profession could maybe learn a little from. But it's also one where, a little like the legal profession, it's a service. And so you can't sort of stockpile product and get through a tough spot. You can't necessarily store things or, uh, you know, or rejig them for next year. This is something that takes many, many years sometimes to change if you think about buying new aircraft or opening new routes or, or launching new divisions and such. Um, so it's an industry that moves very quickly, but in a very complex environment. And so that certainly kept me on my toes and, uh, and trying to to keep up with it. Not, not something the law is always very well equipped to do, but to keep up with what's going on in the industry has been a very interesting part of the job. One of the most vexing parts, I suppose, maybe that, but maybe let, let me come at it a slightly differently, though, because 
what vexes me perhaps most about this is now appreciating what the airline industry can accomplish. And this is true about any of the major carriers around the planet. I mean, we take pieces of metal and put them close to the speed of sound, 30,000 feet or so above the ground with a couple hundred people on board surrounded in fuel and safely deliver them halfway around the planet on a regular basis. That is a remarkable feat of engineering. But when you then add the human dimension to all that goes into delivering that service, I think there's an awful lot that the legal profession can learn. And that we haven't learned it sooner is the part that perhaps vexes me the most. I've been trying to encourage my team to adopt some of these same kinds of processes because start with a simple one, the pilot and their checklist. Those are well-known tools of the trade within the aviation industry. Many other professions have adopted them now as well. And it takes a lot of the room for error out of the equation. We're susceptible to error too in the legal profession. And are there perhaps some things that we could systematize like that? Are there things once you've systematized that you could say, well, you know what, maybe we could train somebody to do a part of this. So we don't pay the pilots at Air Canada to put the bags on the plane, for example. We train people specifically for different parts of the whole process. And we bring that broader community to the delivery of the service. Uh, we spend a lot of time, as do many other air carriers, hotel chains, uh, anybody in the service industry, thinking about customer service, not just business development and how do we sell more, but actually how do you treat the customer? And I, I just came out of a meeting just before I joined you, uh, speaking with my team about some of the things I've learned from hanging out with the people who work with our flight attendants about how do you maybe connect a little better with people? And so what vexes me is, why has it taken us so long in the legal profession to perhaps open our eyes to some of these things and, and absorb them into how we practice? You know, when you started talking about the pilots, that immediately made me think of Charles Duhigg's new book. Mm -hmm. It's called Smarter, Faster, Better. And one of the most dramatic aspects of it was he did two sections on a plane crash that crashed and everybody died, and on a plane that ran into a problem and everyone survived, including the plane. It is incredible, and it's exactly what you're talking about, which is we have to look at our processing, we have to look at how we do it. And I know for me, because I'm fascinated by this area, it was particularly compelling, but what an amazing differentiation between the way the one crew worked and the other, and literally, it was a life or death situation. Uh, if you mm -hmm. haven't had a chance to read it, and I would definitely invite our audience to get this book. In fact, I just did a podcast with him about a month ago. It's spectacular. So I think you've really nailed something that takes us to to the broader issue that we were doing up in the Canadian Bar event. Mm -hmm. How do you see law needing to adapt better, faster, cheaper, transparent? Mm. Those were all big words for our work. And the event that uh, that we were so delighted you were part of, the pitch, was a bit of a, not necessarily a culmination, but a second phase to that work. So let me take you back to the first phase when we began by realizing that the forces that were at play in the market for legal services were putting a rather unique kind of pressure on the legal profession. 
And we also concluded they weren't likely to subside anytime soon. So the, the Canadian Bar Association, uh, a little like the, uh, the American Bar with the Presidential Commission on the Future Legal Services, saw an opportunity to deliver value to its members by saying, let's help you understand what's going on in the lives, the, the professional lives, the personal lives of your clients. What are the bigger influences that are changing how they behave and how they work and help you understand what that means for you? How do we bring this into your day-to-day? First, by giving you that context, and that was really the first part of our work. Um, And we, in the course of that work, started to look at, well, what do other professions do? What might we learn from other fields uh, that are similar to ours and who may have embraced technology a little better, maybe better at customer service, maybe growing their practices? Of course, one of the obvious uh, examples of a profession that seems to have done that well is the accounting profession and the kind of services that we now see the big four accounting firms delivering and and plenty of others. The big four seem to get most of the attention. I'm going to stop you for a second because I'm not familiar with that arena and I suspect some of our listeners aren't. What in your experience have they done well? Hmm. So first of all, they seem to have done a very nice job of training everybody top to bottom within the firm. If I'm at an event somewhere and somebody from one of the big four uh, is in attendance and I have the chance to meet with them, it does not take me long to figure out that they are from the big four in a way that you don't necessarily see with lawyers. I mean, certainly in private practice, uh, most of us would be familiar with those folks who seem to have a knack for developing business, a knack for making connections. That seems to be something that they've been able to distill down and train. I also think, though, we can see them, well, not think, we can certainly see them broaching a number of new areas of practice, the immigration uh, law work, the tax law work that they're now offering in many of the uh, accounting shops. Tax law rather akin to the accounting work, granted, and maybe a bit of a natural growth there. Um, Immigration, well, there's a business need and one that uh, in many places they've been able to reduce to quite a standardized process for many of the steps, bringing in the lawyer's expertise where it's really needed rather than throughout. So something else that, you know, perhaps is uh, a bit of a natural add-on to the kind of business consulting work that some of those firms would have developed over the years. Those are kind of familiar. They've had to find ways to structure these arrangements so they stay on side with all the different regulations, and so far they seem to be doing that. But I was also intrigued uh, here at Air Canada when we launched our first efforts to produce a corporate social responsibility report. It was something that, you know, in many ways, many businesses had on their minds for for some time. But a few years ago, when uh, we realized that uh, other uh, businesses had found ways to really quantify this kind of thing and produce a report about it, uh, the idea was hatched here that, well, perhaps Air Canada should as well. And let's start thinking about what kind of things could we perhaps measure and speak about in a report like that. And when we went to market to see who could help us, there's probably somebody out there who has some expertise who could help us uh, put together the, uh, the framework for a report like that. It was the accounting profession that popped out. And I thought that was interesting because certainly there are things in a corporate social responsibility report that you might measure. For us, you know, greenhouse gas emissions from the the fuel burn of the aircraft, for example, uh, recyclable materials and how often are they getting in there. Of course, for a Canadian airline, the de-icing fluid that you're using on a regular basis. But at its core, corporate social responsibility sounds a lot like doing the right thing. And why weren't there law firms stepping up and saying, hang on a second, we have that kind of training. That's part of our skill set, and we have something to at least add, if not perhaps compete with the accounting profession in this field. 
So we've seen the big four in particular, but I think many others broach these kinds of fields that are close to the legal profession. When I, I give presentations with my slides about our report, I have a a slide that shows a picture of an ad from a mid-size accounting firm here in, in Montreal that was advertising sort of debt management services. If you're in over your head with your mortgage and your credit card and so on and so on, come and talk to us and we'll help renegotiate things. And I say, there's another one. Renegotiate? Well, we negotiate every day. And they're renegotiating what appear to me to be a number of contracts that you might have signed. Where was the law firm to step up there? And I think these are examples of the accounting profession seizing on some opportunities in the marketplace that perhaps the legal profession ought to have thought about as well, but overlooked. So we took all of that. We looked at, uh, we did some research with the clients. We hired a public opinion research firm to, to probe with people who use legal services and some who never have what it is that they'd expect from a legal profession today. And we, we bundled all that, all that up into a report with a series of recommendations about how we might encourage greater innovation in the legal profession, how we might regulate the profession differently to help support some of that, and how we might educate and train lawyers differently so that they can embrace this and really make best use of it, all with the driving force behind this to make sure that Canadians have the kind of relevant, vibrant, capable legal profession that we think they're entitled to. So that led to our report that was issued back in August of 2014. Now, it's hard to believe how, how quickly the time has flown. And since then, we've started to roll out a bunch of tools in various forms that our members could use to uh, understand the recommendations and try to bring them to life in their practices. And the most recent one, uh, Monica, was The Pitch, which we hosted in Ottawa. Uh, and which you were uh, you were a part of, where we tried to showcase some entrepreneurs and give some of them a bit of a shot in the arm as they try to to bring this some of this kind of change to life, and to give some exposure to our members to say here some of the things that are going on out there, some of the things you might want to think about in your practice and think about how you might uh, make use of them. It's been such an interesting year. I think you know that I'm a fellow at Codex mm -hmm. at Stanford, and. For the last year, I've been focusing on startups and on how are we going to change this. And it's been really dramatic. One of the of the issues that I think goes right along with what you've been saying is at our big conference, the Future Law Conference, Jim Sandman, who's the head of the Legal Services Corp, gave mm -hmm. an amazing keyword. And one of his suggestions is it's time to stop the way that big law in particular is doing their work, that because it is so motivated against money and they're so resistant, particularly the baby boomers who are at the peak of their careers or now retiring. And there's been so much problem about getting them to do better, faster, cheaper, because there's no incentive for them to, for example, spend a lot of money on tech because that comes out of their pocket. And as more and more American firms are run with equity partners, a lot of the partners don't have equity. A lot of, you know, there's a smaller amount and there's no motivation for them to want to cut the billable hour. I always like to say this. I've been saying the billable hour would be dead in five years for 17 or 18 years now, but it really does resonate with what you've just said. And there's such a disincentive. And if the audience hasn't had a chance to take a look at Jim's stuff, they can ping me. It's mbay at codex.stanford.edu. And I can send you the link 
to listen to what he said. But it's really, really amazing what's going on. And you just hit it on the nail. A really good example of this is Julie Pearl. You were talking about immigration. And mm-hmm. about 20 years ago, she started both her law firm and a tech firm. And what they do is so amazing because there's stuff that they can do by using tech that they physically could not do if they were doing it manually because it would take too much time. And ironically, by using the tech, it actually made more money for the company because by doing it with technology, they could identify areas that would have been too costly to find in the first set. Mm. So I'm rambling a little bit, but I think we're at a point where we're going to see some real changes because the baby boomers are leaving. And we have people coming up who never lived without the internet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just amazing how time flies. So I completely resonate with what you're saying, but I'll let you continue. No, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. We have a generation of folks who have legal needs now for whom the idea that you wait three years for anything just seems completely perplexing. Yet if somebody yes. walked into my office this afternoon and said, let's head off to the Superior Court in, in downtown Montreal, I'd say, okay, well, we'll get a ruling in three years. It just drives an irrelevance. It creates a gap yeah. between us and our clients, I find. And so some of it is the cost stuff. And, and to um, the, the Codex conference you were mentioning, I heard, I've heard some other feedback from that too, where this is a bit of a theme. And we need to understand as a profession, A, that that expectation is not going away. The cheaper, faster, better, that's pervasive. That's how everybody works. I tell a story when I when I do my presentation of, of some of this material about how that starts at the top of most businesses and finds its way down all through all the ranks. And you need to understand the importance of Better Cheaper Faster, not just because you might serve a CEO or a CFO, but because everybody who works for those people also has that expectation now. So it doesn't really matter what your practice is. This is a pervasive trend. And we need to be able to answer that. Now, sometimes there are things we're going to do that are very complicated and do require an awful lot of skill or judgment, experience and such. Our research showed people are willing to pay for that when it's needed. And that's, I think, one of the tricks that we need to figure out is how do we identify those points in the process where we really need that expert judgment that people will uh, will pay for because it will be needed. But it really behooves us for the rest of it to find ways to do it in a way that really connect. And some of that is doing it quicker because everything else is happening quicker. And some of it's better because everybody else has processes to check their quality. And some of it's cheaper because it's a market and others are going to start to do it. So we need to be cognizant of these things. I predict that you are spot on about the big four. And I really am seeing more and more and more and more. I think the big four is going to come in and take over a lot of the work that the corporate council are doing. I see a big movement because the corporate council are having, you know, it used to be if you were a woman, you went to be a corporate counsel if you wanted to be a lawyer because nobody would pay you enough at big law. But what's shifting is very dramatically the big four and procurement is becoming more and more mm-hmm. and more. <laughs> we ain't going to take it anymore. I went to an amazing conference earlier this year. And it was really interesting because it wasn't the same people that I usually see at all the events that I go to. And (laughs) the amazing things that they are doing with 
they, they're, they're turning it over. It's not just the lawyers handing them. When I put myself through law school, I typed the bills that said, for services rented, a number with a lot of zeros after it. That was the entire <laughs> bill. Now they want to have details and everything. But I really think we're going to see the big four being embraced by corporate counsel and having them take over a whole bunch of stuff that the lawyers are doing right now. I anticipate you're right. Uh, I think they and a number of other service providers are going to step in. And it's interesting your reference to procurement, because if you're in a sizable corporation, you have rules about when procurement needs to be involved in purchasing. And purchasing legal services, especially when you bundle up the annual spend, often hits that threshold. So I do anticipate we're going to see more and more people from a procurement department, from a strategic purchasing department, sticking their nose into these conversations that right now happen between senior partners, relationship partners on the one hand, and, and general counsel and assistant general counsel and such on the other hand. And I think the firms will need to think about how do we engage in that conversation because the procurement people are used to dealing with people who have titles like VP sales, not partner. Right. Right. And so there's a different right. language and a different set of unwritten rules and different ways of engaging in those kind of conversations. And we're going to have to think about them. Now, the other one that I know is dear to your heart, too, is are, are the startups who are popping up. And it's been delightful to see some of the traction that some of them have been able to get in the same legal space. I think they, too, are responding to a need uh, to do the cheaper, better, faster but also embracing technology in a way that helps overcome that gap I mentioned. It helps us reach through to the customer and say, here, we can do this like everybody else in a way that's uh, time sensitive for you. You know, Do it when your kids are asleep or do it after you've finished looking after mom and dad or whatever else is in, in, in you know on your plate in the course of the day. Do it with an interface that is easy to follow because it looks like a lot of other interfaces that we might use in our day-to-day. And I think that is going to go a long way to helping power different lawyers. The same way that sports teams are powered by different energy drinks and such. We're going to power law firms with some of this technology. Mm-hmm. We've seen some of the... Um We've seen some signs of the big four, too, coming into that space. So in Toronto, uh, Deloitte picked up a document review company, ADT, uh, yep. bought the business, right? Put it on the side as a new product line. Um, I anticipate they, too, are probably keeping an eye on this market for those kinds of opportunities to bring more of these kinds of uh, services online. And then the procurement people can start to say to the law firm, well, um, okay, let's have you do this part of this project because it really requires that legal judgment, the experience or maybe this is where the research really needs to be done well because we can see there are particular issues that may arise. But you know what? For the document review, we're going over here and you're going to work with, in this case, Deloitte. I think we may see more of those kinds of packaging of services coming online as well to try to fill the gap. Unless, of course, the firms step up and offer that themselves, which would be another option for them. Yeah, I I think it's going exponentially. It's not linear anymore. And Mm -hmm. I think in the next five to 10 years are going to be extremely dramatic, especially, I mean, I'm always so amazed by change management. The first time I flew was in a DC-6B and it was seven hours to get to Chicago and my dad was flying the, the plane. You know, now you go on these triple sevens that might as well be cruise hotels on on the ocean. I mean, it's just amazing how huge these things are. Change is just amazing. And and it's been, what, about 15 years now since the internet was truly running and going and whatever. And it's changed everything, absolutely Mm -hmm. everything. It's so magical. It's so exciting. It's just so magical. 
It certainly is. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with the idea um, you know, that it's exponential. Uh, we really seem to be accelerating the pace of change with all of these things. The idea for this event, and maybe just for the listeners, you can think of these shows where entrepreneurs come on in front of a panel of potential investors and, and pitch their product. That was the inspiration for this, uh, this event uh, at the last CBA annual conference. Um, it came out of one of our recommendations that said there should be an incubator for the entrepreneurs in Canada who would like to turn their minds to the legal space. And basically, in the time it took us to do our research and come up with our analysis and uh, prepare our report, and the idea for the incubator was one of our earlier ones in all of this. We were quite thought this was quite novel and creative and thought we'd throw it out there and see what we could do and maybe find the CBA some partners who would be willing to uh, join us and then put something like this together and not really being a core strength of a bar association to run a, an incubator. In the time we're doing all this, two of them come online. Right, the two of them actually yeah. are up and functioning, and that led to a real shot in the arm for that uh, community, the entrepreneur community here in Canada, who's looking at the legal space. And we were delighted that one of those two incubators, Legal X, which is affiliated with the Mars Discovery District, a larger incubator in in Toronto, partnered with us on this event and helped us find the folks to uh, to participate. But we sent out our call for participants. And I, we had over 30, I think 34 was the final count, right? entrepreneurs who came forward and said, hey, we'd like to be part of this. Two points of context there. One, your point, these things are changing quickly. Well, 34 starting at zero not so long ago is a pretty good number. Right. The other one for your listeners, of course, is, uh, as we like to say, Canada is always about one-tenth the size of the U.S. So for us, <laughs> in terms of population and the economy and such, give us some, some credit there. Other than uh, other than for geography and Stanley Cups 1, we seem to trail the U.S. Uh, by <laughs> that kind of a ratio most of the time. But the uh, we were quite encouraged that we had that many come forward. We, we did a pre- sort of uh, an assessment of everybody uh, with a panel of judges there and they came down with five who actually presented but just the idea that in that period of time in the couple of years that we were doing this work uh, that the the environment could transform that quickly that we're now actually seeing viable opportunities for startups to approach outside funders, to get the kind of support they need from other entrepreneurs who are interested in working with them and bring to market a variety of products. And they really span quite a horizon. I mean, there's one at Illegal X that helps people with an app on their phone navigate the small claims process. There's another one called Closing Folders, which just does that. When you're closing the deal, automates all of this kind of process. We've got some, I mentioned one document review company out of Toronto. There's another one that's doing a different kind of analysis of documents, like a company called Beagle working with uh, these incubators mm -hmm. as well. Just remarkable what's come online and encouragingly from people from outside the profession. Another Canadian group that uh, we're quite proud of are the folks uh, who are working under the name Ross, which uh, has gained access mm -hmm. uh, to IBM's Watson. And what I love about the story about Ross was when IBM opened up a competition for people who wanted to see what they could do with Watson, a number of computer science students in Toronto thought, well, maybe the legal profession could use some help. And they went looking for a lawyer to help them. And that's how that whole project got started. And now they're away to the races and doing all sorts of great stuff in the, in the legal world. But others are coming into the conversation and joining with those of us who are, are looking at how we might practice law differently, which I think is a great source of inspiration and energy and, and hopefully some validation for those who might be, you know, skeptical in some ways about what we might be able to do in this space. I think if we take some time to learn from some others, we might find there are, in, in fact, things we can, we can pick up from elsewhere that could help us do a better job of being relevant to the people we're supposed to serve. Yeah, and I've just been so 
delighted to have been at the opening uh, last year of Legal X and I just had such a great time at the Canadian Bar. I was so thrilled to be invited to be one of the judges and it was such a great experience. I was blown away, really excited by the quality of the people and everything else. We're running out of time, unfortunately. We could talk for hours on this. Before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now with the bar and what do you see as the next year or two? What do you think is the most important thing for us to all to watch for and to be aware of? Mm. So with the bar, uh, I continue to serve as, as the chair of the Legal Futures Initiative, and uh, we've been uh, we're thrilled to see the ABA report come out as well. We work closely with the folks there, and, and we'll be looking for, uh, we've already spoken with them about where we might see some opportunities to work together, and, uh, and hopefully that'll come online so we can cooperate across the border. We're going to continue to help support uh, our members by helping uh, develop tools they can use in their practice. We came out with a, a guide for young lawyers to think about their career recently. We have some stuff on strategy for law firms as they look at these kinds of forces in the marketplace and the, and the work we did. We've had in the works another one that's specific for the solo and small firm kind of community. And I think you'll see more of that, that kind of uh, programming as we saw in Ottawa at the, at the annual meeting uh, continue to roll out across the country as we help uh, help lawyers get themselves ready for the new realities of the marketplace. So I think that's going to keep us busy for the uh, for the next little while and uh, <laughs> Hopefully uh, with a, a fair bit of cooperation across the border, because it really has been delightful to work with the likes of yourself, uh, Monica, on this. And Thank you. Uh, so many other like-minded folks on the, on the U.S. side of the border. We can sometimes feel like a small community, so it's great to stick together and, and help each other when we can. Absolutely. If someone wanted to reach out to you, how do they reach you? Hmm. Best would be by email, which is fred, F-R-E-D, dot heden, H-E-A-D-O-N, at aircanada.ca. Well, thank you so much. The time went so fast, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know more about the Canadian Bar. And I just thank you very, very much. Well, it's my pleasure, Monica. Thank you for all your help with it. And for your listeners, who might be listeners most of the time, uh, I understand they're going to put up the video from that event we were at, and I'm sure you'll be uh, prominent in there, so we'll have to send you the link you can share when that's up and running. <laughs> oh, yeah, my, my famous line. <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm Monica Bay, and thank you for listening today to Law Technology Now. more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.